Hello, Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast listeners. Thanks, as always, for listening to this podcast and enjoying what we do here, what I do. I've been doing uh, ritual diary reviews uh, for my students, and I've put a few on YouTube, and I wanted to let you know about that. So here's a couple of them. They're from right before I joined and was initiated into the Golden Dawn at Temple Tehuti in 1996. So there's some interesting... uh, It's a bridge period between when I was devoted to my solo studies versus this time when I knew I was about to begin a new path and therefore was just sort of putting the best tools I'd learned over my previous eight years of practice uh, to work and uh, getting ready for a new journey that was very exciting. Uh, These entries are from September 6th to 14th and 20th when I was uh, right before I went back to school in grade 10 and then uh, went to a trip in the Chilcotin Mountains with my class, which was always an epic, if not slightly dangerous, adventure. So here they are, and thanks for listening. You Oh, please, uh, check. If you want to see the videos, you see the pages of the diaries, and those are on some on YouTube, and then the rest on my hermeticmysteryschool.com. So please go check them out on YouTube. I'll keep putting a few on YouTube here and there. This is just a peripheral to all the rest of my work and something sort of fun to add a little spice to it all. And... A lot of insights. It's been a very interesting experience going through these and, and preparing my remarks and reflections. So I hope some of you find value in those insights. P.S. Please forgive the audio. I have misplaced my cable for my condenser mic. Thanks. So 26 years ago today, I wrote this diary entry on September 6th, 1996. Today it's September 6th. 2022 at 6 a.m. And what's immediately uh, interesting to me, well, in all my diary entries, looking back, what's interesting is that, of course, the things I included and the things I didn't include, sometimes more telling what I didn't include. The fact that there wasn't planetary hours, moon phase, my physical health, uh, emotional state, um, mental state described here shows that I wasn't following the sort of rigid requirements that would be put upon me two months later when I was initiated into the Golden Dawn Temple to Hooty in Vancouver. So here, what I'm doing is focusing more on just my relationships with the spirits, particularly in this case, a spirit guide or an angel guide that I had been put in touch with. Um, I didn't really know how to make initial contact with entities that would seem to return to me. I, you know, the uh, methods of sort of manufacturing uh, artificial elementaries or elementals or uh, artificial fairy spirits, things that I had learned from uh, already studying Franz Barden for a couple of years in depth at this point. Uh, those sort of things I was able to do, especially with my coven that I was a part of at this time, me and two other fellows. But getting in touch with the spirit wasn't something I was actually good at doing that was actually out there. I mean, having communications or or contacts is one thing, but linking up is another. And so the way I linked up with this spirit was, well, a psychic informed me this spirit was one of my guides and hanging around me. So I started working with him. Sure enough, this presence would appear to me and be in my life quite a bit after that. And we could have very long sort of conversations, if you will, back and forth. You want to be careful with this stuff because you um, can easily trip off into self-delusion and there's 
many testing techniques for for these sort of things therefore but at the end of the day a spirit guide is a spirit guide whether you want to call it one of your holy guardian angels or or not that sort of a status thing that i don't think you should necessarily worry with worry about in general interestingly i put the first uh, lines of this diary entry in quotes for some reason one of these things we do as uh, as teenagers being 15 at the time <laughs> strange uh, strange little decisions i would make as while writing anyway so let's uh dig in this the first the first thing i uh mentioned is he appeared to me in his long black and black white black and white robes and we spoke the appearance the way this being appeared to me this angels appeared to me was always always like that and it always seemed to me there was a lot of deep significance to that and years later i would find quite a bit of meaning in that significance but at this time i just sort of let the spirits be what they were the angels or fairies or elemental creatures i didn't look up in the bible for example to find out exactly who king josiah was um that wasn't a concern to me whether this is that josiah or not it wasn't really relevant and most important to that point i think is the fact that i wasn't imposing my uh worldly theoretical definitions onto the spirit um this can happen a lot when working with spirits especially from grimoires we have this very fixed idea of what they are and we sort of try and project it onto them and um not it's not always the best approach so you know um i do think it's very powerful though especially when in a in a working like this which was essentially uh early days rising in the plains or deep meditation um i hadn't yet developed the skills i would learn as an initiate in the golden dawn though i had been practicing golden dawn magic for some years at this stage in my diary i was preparing and waiting for initiation so i'd stopped doing most golden dawn rituals in preparation for that i'd been making all kinds of mistakes like doing the analysis of keyword and uh with the brh which you know you just shouldn't be doing you shouldn't be doing that analysis period uh until a certain point otherwise you just wasted essentially um you know i guess unless you're in jail and then you need all the help you can get so go for it um, there's always exceptions to uh rules so it's powerful to start a diary entry with a, a powerful moment of connection with the spirit that you're trying to contact whether it's through evocation or meditation or scrying or travel so that's not a bad thing actually just in your diaries in general to create a bit of of the sense sort of impression though i wish i had recorded more more feelings i i think that one of the reasons a big reason i didn't do that here is it was 6 a.m. i had lots to do that day obviously um or i definitely wouldn't have been up that early as a 15 year old guy um <laughs> i had things to do um it would be interesting to know what day of the week this was there's another point like uh, at the time you think oh that doesn't matter but now wouldn't it be interesting to you know, i could look it up of course but it would be very much more interesting in casual perusal to see oh that was a saturday so what was i doing up at 6am must have had a interesting night which i often did given how much uh, sort of magic i was doing <clears throat> and uh then i uh, have had consecrated a tool this is a new athame or athame i was working on cuz i was still deep into the the wicca and druidry uh coven i was in and and had formed with my friends and that was my basis for practice in many ways still i mean they just sort of all muddled together in my mind in those early 
first uh, three, four years of, of serious practice, you know, whether it was, uh, yeah, you know, you need a dagger to do your rituals. That's what seemed to make sense. Then I got a new one. I remember that one. I even had my name and pagan motto engraved on the side. But it's, uh, you know, long gone. I will carry it with me on my trip. And I will wear it in the sweat lodge and the ancients will bless it. This is me declaring an intention as part of my work. Um, I, I might have even had the angel consecrate it at this point. But again, lack of clarity in the diary entry here. Um, I've consecrated a tool. Maybe it was the day before. I'm just jumping in here, so I'm not really sure. As I do the other entries, we'll find out more. Uh, there's, it's an amazing what things in one entry, how they influence your understanding of previous ones based on recurrences and connections. So I consecrated this new Athame. I'm sure it was just a matter of having the spirit or, well, I don't know, so I won't say. Two, what did I do next? Then I uh, talked about how I spoke with Josiah in meditation. It wasn't really meditation. The meditations I were doing since I had been initiated into transcendental meditation and had my full physical ceremony and started daily practice in 1987, 88, um, when I was seven. Um, I had been meditating for almost 10 years at this point. So, you know, and grew up before that in a household of parents who meditated and did two hours a day. So we were often, I just, this, this was, uh, I think I was a, a lot further along than a lot of people were. And in my early days, especially I was, I would often make the mistake of just assuming that, that, you know, people had three, four years of meditation under their belt. Um, but they, most people don't, of course. So that was a, that was a very big challenge for me in the early days because I expected a lot more awareness and sensitivity from other occultists than, uh, than I should have. So I spoke with Josiah and I asked him for his blessings and protections on my trip. And I have asked for his support and his love. I've thanked him. So these are just clarifications of the communication. I mean, when you're in such a deep state, you can't do it. That's the advantage of scrying is you can, you know, once you get good at scrying, you can communicate and sometimes write down and be both scribe and scryer. That's a really good state to get to if you can get there. And of course I did, but um, when you're in deep meditation, you can't come out of it just to write down verbatim what, what, what communications are happening. And also the communications may not appear uh, as words in your head. They may not appear intelligible in that way. They might be um, sensations. They might be tastes or sense or, or just overwhelming revelations or realizations like, you know, and often these things all muddle together into one, right? This is, we're not watching a movie here. We're going through a, uh, inner ecstatic experience, whether it's ecstasy, expanding you outward, or ecstasy and, you know, doing the same thing, but inward, sending you deep, sometimes down into yourself or into the palaces or outwards into the heavens. And so, and then I ended with a prayer. That's why I really like this diary entry. I often sometimes would compose a, a impromptu prayer for, for my beings or guides or aspects that I was working with gods. And uh, that's a beautiful thing to do. That's why I'm, that's why I'm really excited to share this diary entry with you is that's not a, it's not a bad idea. I was really on something there intuitively, I think at this stage. Um, so I wrote a prayer 
uh, for Josiah. Sorry about that. Someone came to the door, so I had to pause. So getting his blessing for a trip, that's also a wise thing. That sort of practice goes back and is very common in early Hebrew spells. Where you call tons of angels to bless you as you go from, go home from the pub or whatever. <laughs> Travel was uh, always dangerous. And this trip was dangerous. This was a uh, seven-day trip into the middle of nowhere and the deep in the Chilcotin mountain range with an 80-pound backpack on your back with all your stuff with the school. Going with a shaman for a sweat lodge. This is something we did every year in Waldorf School. So a very magical, fun, physically absurdly challenging time for everyone involved even the guides were little. we'd have to sometimes tie ourselves to trees on the side of a mountain in our sleeping bags for the night like so we wouldn't roll down the mountainside just because we'd lose the trail or something <laughs> good times so getting blessings on a trip like that was very smart it was a brutal trip that year too very brutal like it dropped it was early september but it dropped like way below zero and we're up in the middle of the mountain so here is the prayer for Josiah. Great art thou, O angel of love. Bless me with thy touch. Lovely art thou, O angel of eloquence. Bless me with thy peace. Holy art thou, O angel of happiness. Bless me with thy kiss. Honored art thou, O angel of mercy. Bless me with thy song. For now and forever. Amen. And then my old Wiccan motto. Blessed be. So... There's that diary entry from 26 years ago today. Very interesting. Yeah, I think that's all there is to say about that. I, uh, that's not a bad example of a, of a working with the spirit. Uh, it's actually, this is probably a much, there's a much more goetic diary entry in some ways, or example of Solomonic operation in regards to the focus on the relationship with the spirit over, over the going through, uh, different rituals by rote for practice or performance and uh, these experiences were very very deep meditations that would take and uh, these ones were usually a solid hour um, at this point in time as i was getting ready to be initiated in a few months so there we go i hope you learned something thanks for listening and there's lots more on hermeticmysteryschool.com look around All right, so I got some touching messages from the previous diary review, so here is a follow-up. As you can see, I've put a little effort and care, a little more care into the aesthetics for you, so you're welcome. <laughs> um, the next entry in my 1996 Magical Diary was 26 years ago and a day ago today. I didn't do it yesterday. I wanted to leave... Dr. Puka's interview to have some room to breathe on either side before I did something else. So 26 years ago, I did my first sweat lodge deep in the Chilcotin Mountains of British Columbia with my entire Waldorf High School. All 70 of us carried 80-pound uh, packs for seven days, and, you know, we hike for eight to 12 hours some days, sometimes 10 hours, sometimes uh, some days five or seven, but it was pretty intense um, to say the least. I mean, students dreaded it all summer. Um, my friends would walk to my house for D&D &D miles and miles just because they knew they had that hike coming up. 
So that was a pretty cool thing that the Walder School did. And we'd, you know, hike over mountains and glacier lakes and valleys. So sleeping sometimes strapped to trees on the mountainside so we wouldn't slide down the cliff in the night. That happened. Um, you know, fending off black bears and maybe I'll say more about that. And uh, always midway stopping to build a sweat lodge under the guidance of our First Nations guide, Seislam. He was as much a shaman as I suppose there is, um, though all the First Nations shamans I have met pretty much tell me that the pre-Christian practices didn't survive and most of what they do is reconstructed in a post-Christian era. And I've heard that from a lot of academics and professors and indigenous elders and across the board it's been quite shocking to the extent of maybe that's the case maybe that's why some of them don't want the word shaman used at all because those were in sort of respect to the fact that they were wiped out and that's a very fair thing to say um, I come down in these cases uh, as you'll see later on the terminological side but uh for now yeah this was a wonderful experience and so that's why it was a week later i didn't bring this precious diary with me into the <laughs> the canadian wilderness um for obvious reasons there's some photos my buddy uh hero standing on the lake and a rainbow that happened uh as a very important sign into what happened there you go these things i mean so nervous doing these things it's crazy um so afternoon, damp, rainy, peaceful, I participated in a sweat lodge ceremony and I feel purer and more clear than ever I have, have ever before. I am happy. The Indian who led the ceremony is a great man. I would call him a shaman. His name is Seislam and I would <clears throat> write that now so that I will never forget his spirit, his soul, because he had a big impact on me. So that's that's what I wrote. Um, so to start, before I get in trouble, our high school class guardian, a.k.a. our homeroom teacher, a.k.a. Hauptunterrichtlehrer in the Rudolf Steinisch Waldorf School, gave us one of dozens of talks about the First Nations people. Aside from indigenous culture being very popular and present and prevalent in British Columbia, um, <clears throat> Our ex-Anglican priest, teacher, was often joked about uh, as wishing he were First Nations. He even wrote a trilogy of novels um, with an interesting First Nations protagonist. And they're actually very enjoyable novels. I did read the first two, but haven't found the third yet. Before working with uh, our guide, Seislam, he informed us, in fact, that when actually meeting a First Nations person, we may discover they do not like that name many will actually insist on being called Indian. And so this is something we were prepared for because you want to be respectful and call people what they want to be called. And m most of us, I don't think, in high school realized that amongst First Nations people, a lot of them don't like that name and would prefer to be called Indians. And there, I've heard arguments from them themselves. Like, they don't have to argue, but what they've said is like, this is what we were called back in the day. You can't take our name away. Um, so that's pretty funny. <clears throat> yeah. Now, a few notes on the diary here, I suppose. Uh, the date um, and the conditions in the afternoon. I wish uh, I did what I do now, which is to write more of a sentence instead of single word conditions. Of course, I sometimes after rituals, you're rushed and to diarize, and so you're just brief, right? But uh, 
if you can capture the moment with a you know in a more feeling way, that's probably better, I find. But to each their own. I'd say at least maybe do something creative or more haiku-ish at least uh, to capture the basic factors such as weather, uh, your health, the moon phase, planetary hour, etc. But you want to capture the feeling of the moment, what state you were in, not just the facts. Um, the sweat lodge, um, I hadn't gotten to do it the previous year on the hike. Um, because our group got held back, um, keeping, taking care of a height, one of the members of our school that had damaged her leg and couldn't continue on to base camp to the sweat lodges. Because there's two lodges. There's the moon lodge as well for women who are on their moon. Um, that's a whole other uh, ceremony. Very cool. Um, so we got held back. And then a black bear circled our tent camp for like days, destroyed all our food, climbed 30 feet up in a tree adjacent to our food and slashed the bags and strew it all around our camp to let us know it took our food. It knew what it was doing. So we had to like keep watch 24 seven with fire and making noise. And it was a uh, arduous thing. So I, this was the first year I got to do the sweat lodge. The previous year I'd missed out, but we still had a great time doing like rune magic with our art teacher. And uh, yeah. And it was amazing. <laughs> Purer and cleaner than ever, I say in this diary entry. That's that's actually saying something. As I had lived my life sort of to the height of purity up to this point, and for another 10 years after this, in fact, I, I was, you know, that kid, you could say. Though I'd say slowly getting less pure throughout my 20s, of course. But back then, we know all about the... Uh, the stories from the grimoires and all that about kids and purity. And... Uh, having access to spiritual knowledge. A lot of people say that the time, best time for occult work is in your, your youth or old age. That's, that's a commonly said thing. Anyway. Um, yeah. So saying that I felt pure and clearer than ever was definitely saying something. And if you've done a sweat lodge, especially like we dug the pits ourselves, built it from boughs and then the fire 24 hours and cycles, we'd go in, in six hour rotations, you know, and then during your six hour rotation, I think I went in at 3 AM and, you know, every so often after smoking the peace pipe full of knick knick and tobacco, you run, you go clockwise around the, the hut and then you run into the you know glacier lake and you scream like a little girl to the height of your lungs. Cause boy, is that something? Um, yeah. You, uh, come out feeling cleansed. It's, it's a, it's a baptism, like perhaps like no other. Is that heresy? I can't say like no other. That would be heresy. <laughs> I say also, I am happy. Now this was truly saying something, uh, for me back then. I was not a popular kid in school, despite, you know, being a king of the nerds in my social circle outside of class. I was also a hardcore goth still. That didn't change, ironically, till I'd been initiated into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn uh, International later in November of this year. Um, so being happy was very significant. And I made a lot of headways with my classmates and then in that school year um, later on. Islam was very cool. Um, he would be one of the first people to tell you there are no shamans anymore. 
um, they were all killed. But he also doesn't mind the title, I'm sure, um, because it is what it is. And he taught us the chants, and we would stay up very late just doing chant after chant, and it was intoxicating on an ecstatically sober spiritual level, and you would just go to these states, and then people would tell the stories. And, yes, this was an active part of our life. And uh, learning from him things about the plants, because I was such into being a druid back then, um, and still am, but, you know, I, uh, yeah, learned a lot about plants and trees from him. I even, like, got my mom the night before we went on the hike to go to 7-Eleven and buy me one of those $20 bags of tobacco. Well, that's what they cost in Canada even back then. Maybe it was 10 but the bags of tobacco, like, I, ne I never smoked till I was, I didn't have a cigarette till I was 18, so I had to get her, go get the tobacco, so I could give it to Saislam as a gift which is what you give First Nations elders, so we were told. And, uh, well, that's true. It is true. And he was very touched. He also did, did smoke, but he also did the, the peace pipe and all of that. Um, Kniknik in his tribe, yeah, for in his nation. Kniknik and tobacco is the combo. It's, it was uh, That would have been my first time inhaling any smoke, um, other than just incense smoke, in fact. Because um, when you pass it around the circle, you're not going to say no. How dare you? So, <laughs> I get less nervous as I go along. I, I did learn everything I could from him, and, uh, you know, each year, well, uh, everyone else was making out in the tents. Two, I believe that I have achieved what is known as the realization of the higher self. I say that I believe because I don't think anything else is possible other than believing. Well, isn't that adorable? <laughs> um, before we get to the salient point here, um, it's interesting. Clearly, I, what, what stands out to me is that I say I don't think anything else is possible other than believing. So I am saying I did mean you can't prove it. Like, there's no facts, necessarily, that would allow you to prove it. Um, but, you know, naturally, I'm myself very inclined to disregard and write this off as the ignorance of a 15-year-old, for sure. However, <laughs> I was very much absorbed in all of the main works of Rudolf Steiner, at this period, I had been reading his outline of occult sciences the past two years and just finished his main texts on the higher worlds and the higher self. And to this, the fact that I was not your normal high school student, but rather grew up in a non-Christian yogic family who followed their guru, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, TM. And uh, my parents meditated and practiced their cities two hours a day. And at age seven, I was led into a dark incense-filled smoke room with an altar and initiated by my first teacher, and who was my godfather, um, Mark, into my mantra and practice of TM. So since uh, that's age seven, I, then I meditated daily while, while walking around. And then until age 10, I had a second physical initiation and was given my adult sitting mantra. Um, then you do it as many minutes twice a day as you are old up until 30, and then just 30 minutes twice a day after that. So by 1996, 
I had been an initiate of the mysteries and more importantly, ardently practicing my spirituality. And then as a teenager, magic, of course, as well for like eight years. So I'm writing this after eight years of hardcore practice. Of course, when I was seven to, you know, 11, 12, you know, it was just the TM. So I'm being kind to my 15 year old self and my whole realization of the higher self, since most occultists claim accomplishments, in fact, and grandiose titles in much less than eight years of solid guided practice of yoga and magic. Um, so I can see, I can see where I was coming from. Um, there's other elements to that, that I, I could speak on more such as, you know, we're always cycling through these realizations. I don't think they're meant to be static attainments. I think that's, that's obvious to anyone who practices and attains higher states. You come down, the Ouroboros is real. And, you know, even in the golden dawn, you go through the elements in the outer order, but then you go through them again in the inner order and in other initiatory systems that inevitably you'll probably journey through, you'll go through similar cycles. And that's the point is to go through these cycles, including knowledge and communication with spiritual guides, holy guardian angels, you name it. And also now within anthroposophy, I was also taught um, by teachers upon request because they never expound anthroposophy within the actual school curriculum. Um, Steiner thought this was important as a Rosicrucian school to not evangelize at all, but teach, you know, such sort of esoteric mysteries only by example or upon request. And uh, I made such requests constantly. Um, and I was rewarded by, with many practices from not only a veteran anthroposophist who guided me through techniques, even as I recently learned uh, that the Golden Dawn felt were perhaps too powerful to share with their members. So this kind of realization, as I called my spiritual breakthroughs in my childhood, was not actually very out of place. Though seeing it now, it of course only seems, uh, well, adorable, like sort of cute. But it is what it is, you know? These things happen, especially after many years of practice. Point three, what do we have? Josiah, yes, my one of my guardian angels and uh, protectors. He did in key, you did indeed keep me safe on my trip. Thank you. So I'm thanking the spirit. Definitely stands out. It was not only a physical trip, but also a spiritual one. And for me, the Chilcotin Mountains, I will always see as a spiritual place. Of course, it's immediately interesting that I was actually speaking to a spirit and, and didn't, you know, if I thought it was just in my head, I wouldn't be thanking it for keeping me safe necessarily. I, I, uh, I always think that, you know, it was shocking when, when, when I found out in, you know, the recent years that, that there was people who believed magic was something just in your head, a psychological mind game. And then my buddy said, oh yeah, even Crowley had that theory. And I was like, oh, wow. Because, you know, this is not what most of us find to be the case. I think those of us who actually practice and experience this stuff. Um, Josiah, it was not only him. All right, going to recover that. So what's immediately interesting is that I was clearly speaking directly to the spirit, showing how the ritual diary 
uh, can act as more than a, than a talisman, but as a conduit of communication and mystical dialogue itself. That is something I definitely always instinctively always use my ritual diaries for. So if you're not doing that, add that to your ritual diary um, usage. See it as a magical tool for real, you know. As for um, the angel protecting me, my thanks was very ardent after uh, the black bear encounter that had cut us off from the main group the year before. So this was uh, a real thanks. There was a real fear because the year before I was, you know, sleeping outside on a thermal rest in the sun and I was woken up during the day from my beautiful nap um, by the girls and they woke me and they were like, you know, saying stuff, but I couldn't hear in the grogginess. And I looked up and less than 10 feet away was a black bear. And it was just sort of looking at the grass, nodding its head around. And that was the beginning of all of that. And it was a very real thing. Um, and yeah, things can go very badly out there. Um, when you drive 15 hours in the middle of nowhere and then hike seven days through the middle of nowhere. Um, it's intense, but beautiful. Come to British Columbia, go hiking. One last interesting thing is that the energy was very dark. The temperature dropped drastically. It was well below zero um, for the when we reached base camp. And people were crying and crying. They were so cold. And it was just also had a grim, dark energy. And we all thought amongst the students, we were joking about this. Like, there's ghosts or dead spirits or something like that. And the teachers even said, started echoing their similar vibes because, you know, it's Waller School. Um, but, and then the, you know, Seyslam said that, that there was some stuff around that. Um, there was something to it, uh, about the land needing that. And this, and that this was why the first nations did their dances because they're, they're lifting up the spirits and, and purifying the, the darkness in the earth. It's very interesting stuff. You should uh, look into it. All right. Last one. Thanks for sticking with me. Uh, if you're here, <laughs> I meditate in hopes that answers will come to me, but answers to questions I have not asked. I long for me a greater realization for a higher clarity, and I will do anything to attain it. All things come with time. Well, I do meditate. I think this really shows... Um, sort of an echoing how do I say this if someone said to me they had had a realization of their higher self and I, I would say what, what do you mean okay what is that what's how does that play out and if they said to me an answer in, instead of I'm no longer asking for answers to questions I have. I'm asking for answers to questions I do not know to ask. I would probably say, okay, um, yeah, I think that's a testament, testimony, testament and testimony to that experience that I had had. Um, these things go through cycles. Um, I had just, I was just joining Golden Dawn later this year, and that put me through a whole cycle, um, through all the grades. So that experience was mind-boggling in and of itself, and there's been many since. But this, um, 
Yeah, this I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't write it off. That's my that's my uh, inclination. Um, yeah. It sort of reminds me of don't let your your worries about saying um, in your diaries this is uh, saying things well or perfectly. Um, you know, if it's in your book of shadows or your personal grimoire, just express it. Just lay it out there. It's for you. It's not for anyone else. It's not like anyone else is ever going to see this, right? So just lay it out to you. And uh, as adorable as I find my realization of the higher self at this age, it makes some sense. The powerful purity of childhood is famously attested in the history of magic. And uh, I had even begun avoiding certain foods and carbonated beverages at this age to strengthen the clarity of my many mystical dialogues with God and various spiritual beings or spiritual creatures. So while in anthroposophy land, I certainly had initiated a direct contact with my so-called higher self. This is not the same thing as communicating with it. And I say it because for all the debates around definitional technicalities of the higher self, divine genius and holy guardian angel, and the other various genii and spirits that guide us, one thing is not like the other. Then my higher self that I had realized and began building a dialogical rapport with felt distinctly like an other, only somehow tied or tethered above me, at least in perception and feeling, that is. The, uh, the fact that I wrote that I would do anything to attain it, <laughs> I will do anything to attain it. <laughs> Sounds so intense is because these weren't the, these really weren't the wild, like imaginings of, of my youth or the fantasy of games like D and D, but these were encounters with spirits I worked with. Um, that was, they, they were shocking. Um, initially they were, these things were always shocking. Um, uh, I said on a podcast recently, the Rilke line from Duina Elegia, every angel is terrible. And yet angel is schrecklich. I had already long experienced a so-called ontological shock when it came to spirits like angels and such, um, there were not they were not a part of me though they seemed to communicate from within me when present i had not yet learned to properly scry at all but almost a decade of yoga and meditation developed the gift or skill to feel the differences between the things and sometimes even what those things were um, i demonstrated this often uh, to teachers and schoolmates which slowly made me less weird over time and simply left them kind of astonished and considering me to have proven to them many things which sort of the new age 90s touted and uh sometimes the teachers didn't like that so much because there's a thing in the walder school where they sort of want to see rudolf steiner as their prophet and their sage and and he was the only clairvoyant even though the whole point of rudolf steiner's writings is y'all can do it everyone it's just a slight extension of our senses that's he even has a book on the 12 senses you should Check it out if you, uh, <laughs> if you want. Um, oh boy. 
this is almost like a multimedia autobiography. It's, it's tough, but I'm going to do it. I guess you could say I'm both horrified and impressed by my younger self because this is the first time I'm going through all this stuff, right? Um, yeah. It's some of the only stuff that wasn't stolen. Next. Thanks for watching. If you stuck around to the end, here's some photos for you. There's a picture up here of people sitting down tired, people walking, trying to get tired. The Chilcoat and Valley, mountains and valley, something, you know. And there's me. Um, uh, if you can't tell, I'm the one who's not Japanese. Though, to be fair, I certainly identified as Japanese at the time. And let me tell you about my two best friends in grade 10. Hiro, the white shirt, was a black belt teacher of Iaidu, Iaido and Iaijutsu. And Kazunobu was a teacher of, they were friends from Japan, a teacher of Kendo and Kenjutsu. And so every day at sunrise, we woke up and went through the katas and the forms, both of Iaido, and then we did stick fighting with Kenjutsu to Kendo to get our, you know, heart rate up. But the meditative part of Yaido was my favorite. Later in university, I would take Yaido classes with the scientist Hiro Inui at UBC. So that was cool. Anyway, there's my walking stick. I had that all the way up until the robbery. So beautiful place, crazy 80 pound backpacks. In my grade 12 senior year, I brought two cans of Coke and halfway through the trip, <laughs> drank one with my best friend, Sophie, and sold the other one for 50 bucks. To, to, I think, Gibran. Um, there's Gibran in the top right. That's Tommy Chong's son. Yeah, I never smoked weed till I was 24, even though he was right there offering it all the time. What a hero. All I got was the higher self. Thanks for listening, people. If uh, you want to talk to me more, Go to myhermeticmysteryschool.com. There's a chat feature. Best way, because I'm at a keyboard. Then we can chat, talk. I'll show you some cool stuff. Peace. And now, a word from our sponsors. Doctors take field of greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you. Too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take field of greens. The fruits and vegetables in field of greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. All right, here we go, doing another one of these. September 20th, 1996. My uh, diary entry here is from the 20th of September, six days after my return from the Chilcotin Mountains of BC. We've just gone into the Mars hour, so this should be an energetic analysis. 
And uh, again, a, a very short descriptor of the time, afternoon, damp, quiet. I, I was coming out of a detailed phase, and then I went back into a detailed phase again when I, of course, joined the order. I meditated very deeply, and it was in the beginning as though all the thoughts and images of the day were being run through my mind at high speed. Now, first of all, it's worth noting that the reason I mention all these thoughts and images rushing of the day rushing through my mind at high speed is because this wasn't normal. I often did not record things that were you know, normative. And uh, <clears throat> that might be a mistake, in fact, which uh, you could avoid. As I've said before, my deep meditations generally took about 25 to 45 minutes, in which I would often astral travel, as I called it back then. Now I think it's better said in GD terms, such as traveling in the spirit vision, since the term astral really refers to planets and space more. You know what I mean? I was also not practicing TM, Transcendental Meditation, here, um, since if I were, my meditation would need to end at 15 minutes, as that was my age. I also had stopped using my TM mantra during this period and was simply following what my two main guides had taught me, which I discovered a year later was more similar to the RRDC practice of rising in the plains. However, not since I was, not really, right? Since I was just essentially stretching my body of light and then using it to travel. Most of the time, I was able to avoid thoughts and events racing through my mind at the beginning of meditation and mindfulness via two techniques I practiced daily. Um, Rudolf Steiner's daily recap recapitulation exercise before sleep each night, I learned from a teacher at my Waldorf High School, of whom I would often ask for <laughs> such anthroposophical practices. And secondly, uh, well, let me explain that one first. That's where you lie in bed at night and in reverse order, run through your mind all the everything that happened that day and once you're done relax and sleep very powerful two friends barden's concentration exercises from der weg zum wahren adepten uh, aka the poorly translated initiation into hermetics which is a very misleading title from the german his focusing exercises are similar to the gd meditations especially the first techniques also adopted by uh, the anglican theologian Evelyn Underhill in her 1915 book, Practical Mysticism, which I highly recommend. It's just a little wee book. Also, you can see my uh, little doodle there in the corner. I wish I'd done much more illustrations like that in my diaries. So absolutely just go for it. Just go for it. Of course, you run out of time. You don't always have time to do that. That's a factor as well. I, uh, I'm trying to be kind to my younger self and remember, you know, you have a busy life as a kid going on and uh, less control over how busy you are, especially. Um, whereas in adulthood, if you want to have free time, just walk into the middle of nowhere and leave the world behind you and you will have all the free time in the world. <laughs> I don't recommend that either. Um, so the doodles and the illustrations are nice. Um, I had to do a ton of that for me and lesson books in, in Walder school. So I was pretty burnt out when it, just the fact that I did a ritual diary was impressive to me. Um, yeah, I wish I'd been a little more playful then, but I was kind of a pretty, uh, you know, serious kid. And, uh, like most Aquarians, uh, they say sort of mature in reverse. <laughs> yeah. 
I went to the top right corner of my room. First I saw myself there, then here. There, here. There, here. I repeated this, each time faster, until finally I rested. I felt a strange sensation, energy rushing through my being, until I realized that there and here were one. I sat on my altar, looking at my own meditating form. Then off to my field in Era, and there I saw my sign. Though it was cha charged or changed, it was not my sign. I have no idea what I'm talking about with my sign there. The astral travel technique I described, I still, I still have talked about as being a, a reliable way to do that. Though, you know, do it, everyone finds a way that's best for them, it seems. But that's uh, what really helped me. Um, I, I have no idea what this sign was when I astral traveled off to Ireland. Um, so, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there for sure. Um, that would be really cool to know what my sign was. <laughs> oh, damn it. So even if you keep a ritual diary day and you should, um, if you don't do it well, you end up with moments like this clearly. So learn from my mistakes. The last part of this day's entry is I concentrated on France, their language, city, culture. Then it came to me, a face, a stern face. The face wore a red military uniform adorned in gold. I knew this fellow had had a hard life. The energy that had risen from me was weak. Yeah, so often in my astral travels I find... It's more like, you know, you're peering through that mist sometimes, or mist is a bad word for it, but, you know, if you go somewhere, you might just get one face out of a crowd or one image emerging. Sometimes people tell these fantastical stories that really seem unbelievable, um, but everyone's different. So, yeah, you, it's, though it's definitely a warning sign if someone's, you know, you don't want to go into this place where you're just like fantasizing, making this stuff up. You want to see things that are actually there, which is why we do testing experiments for ourselves and, and all of that. So, you know, um, enjoy the ride, but also test yourself so that you're not, you know, you're not just uh, full of baloney. Um, yeah, there's maybe one more thing I can say about the uh, point two about. seeing myself here and there. So I visualize everything about where I am, feel every sensation in my body and then focus on where I want to be and what the sensations and where I'll be there and all the details of that place is, is you know, so do this here for maybe five to, you know, 10 minutes at the most, maybe five. And then there for the same length, then shorter time here, shorter time there back and forth until your mind's just trying to imagine them both. And then they seem like one. And then Sometimes there's a very strong response, like going down a roller coaster where your body's being pressed against the bed and you just, you can't even move. And then boom, you're somewhere else. Um, and as you, the more you do that, though, I found you, the more I acclimatized to the pressure and the experience and the less sort of real it sort of started to seem. But that was actually just me getting good at it. I found out later that was the case again in the golden dawn when I had people who <laughs> knew what I was talking about to share these experiences with and get some guidance and improve and also know where to pull back and develop myself in further ways before I started going into too many uh, 
crazy realms. We're trying to do too many things like <laughs> possess my friends while they're sleeping, which was, you know, a very teenage thing to, to give a, give a whirl. We would see if we could try and get the other person's body to wake up and go, or just go write something on a piece of paper in their room. Um, and then we'd know that we did it. So we were doing these things with permission too. Um, but yeah, it never seemed to work though. I had <laughs> lots of other things worked. Jeez. All right. So what are the insights from this to the takeaways? Um, I, I think it's good to point them out, record the obvious. It doesn't matter how obvious it seems to you at a time, how important this special sign or, or symbol or tool may be to you. Um, if you don't record it down, it might get lost to the ages. And then in retrospect, you won't know what you were talking about. So record even the obvious as much as you can. Have fun. Yeah. Uh, illustrate, doodle, beautify. Um, I definitely could have done just even a little bit more just to add a bit more creativity to the process and let my imagination go a bit. But again, I was often having to do my rituals very late at night after it, because I wouldn't let myself do, uh, do, uh, my magic until I'd gotten schoolwork done. That was my deal for myself going into grade 10 and joining the order was because I was like basically in grade nine, a straight F student. And they were, if I didn't change that by end of grade 10, I was going to be expelled. Um, without doubt, I, they all sat me down and told me that straight up. Um, so in grade 10, I was like, yeah, I have to do schoolwork first and, uh, maybe less D and D and magic, the gathering. So I would just go home from school and get my schoolwork done so I could do my ritual work and go to class at the GD temple and all of those things. Um, so I didn't often, by the time I got home from that, doing, you know, bedtime rituals and, and meditations or whatever other work I wanted to do, then I'm in bed, maybe two, 3 AM. Thank God I was, a uh, you know, still growing up and had all that energy, um, of youth, um, to be able to survive, uh, on five hours sleep for a decade. So there we go. And, uh, yeah, use as many pages as you need. That's something looking back now, as I am in this self-analysis progress, uh, project is I, uh, yeah, use as many pages as you need. Of course, the reason I didn't is because these, the, these diaries I was, uh, using were, very expensive for me at the time. I guess they were around 30, 40 bucks. So they would cost about, you know, 80, 90 to these cloth bound, hand bound diaries that I insisted on using for myself. Um, and I was a kid, so I didn't necessarily have all the money in the world to spend though. I did work hard. So use as many pages as you need. And, uh, thanks for listening. Oh, um, maybe I can say something more, be creative just get it all out. That's the point about using as many pages as you need. Um, yeah, it seems to me I omitted the details, which would let me know how now, how, what I meant then in the third part of the entry. So it is sad to me now, I cannot decipher what I meant by the few words I used, no doubt to not have my entry bleed into the next page. Now that was a big mistake. Use another page. It's okay. You'll survive. Hey, thanks for listening to the end, which, uh, if you're hearing me, you did. And uh, I appreciate that. I hope you got some insights or enjoyed them. Please check out the videos of these on YouTube. I'm really close to hitting a thousand subscribers and it means nothing, but it's, uh, you know, little goals are always fun. So please help me hit that goal and go subscribe to my YouTube Frater RC. Uh, once I hit the thousand, I can actually get a dedicated, like, you know, 
handle to it right now. You just sort of have to search me and find me, though it's pretty easy to do that. So please do. I appreciate it. And there'll be a few more Ritual Diaries here and there reviewed on YouTube, but many more on my homepage, hermeticmysteryschool.com. And you can join the Free Cyber Guild and uh, partake in the occasional lectures and other content and lessons, and you get the idea. Thank you. Bye.